lads and ladies, welcome to the Junior Classics. Hi there, I'm Sir Bradley Hassey, a teller of borrowed tales. Join me as I share stories of courage, adventure, and wonder. But don't take my word for it. You can find out for yourself on today's Junior Classic. Silence, thou wicked wretch, or my mighty hammer shall put a stop to thy prating. Ho, ho, her bird has flown. Greetings, Junior Scholars. I am Sir Bradley Hassey, guardian of the written word and your guide through the Junior Classics. Our mission is to safeguard the classics and inspire children to a love of good reading and a real and lasting interest in literature and history. If this is your first time listening, thank you for joining us. And a very special thank you to my loyal listeners who tune in each and every episode and especially my Patreon supporters who help keep the show going and growing. If you like what we are doing, creating stories for the good of your kids, consider supporting me on Patreon for five bucks a month. And now I want to give a special shout out to Javier Garavito from Addison, Illinois, for his excellent artwork based on The Fair One with Golden Locks which he said is his favorite tale thus far. Great job, Javier. Today, we continue with the Northern Saga, how Loki was punished at last. But before we get to the story, Lost and found words! Listen carefully to these words and their meanings and try and spot them during the story. Our first word today is tempest with a T. A tempest is a violent, windy storm. Our next word is deft with a D, deft. This means to be skillful and quick in one's movements. Our next word is enmesh with an E, enmesh. This means to become entangled in something. Fish become enmeshed in fisher's nets. And our last word today is torrent with a T, torrent. This is a strong and fast-moving stream of water. That's all for today's Lost and Found Words. Now on to the show. At the end of the last tale, how Hermod journeyed to the underworld, Hela, the goddess of the underworld, agreed to release Baldur the Beautiful back to Asgard if every living thing on earth would shed a tear for him. The only creature to refuse was a giant woman, who was actually Loki in disguise. Thus, Loki was responsible for Baldur's death and his detention in the underworld. This is the tale the Northmen tell of how Red Loki was punished at last for his sins. Loki, disguised as Thok, the giant woman, who had refused to shed the tears that would have won Baldur's release, they determined to bear his presence in Asgard no longer. So with many a hard word and ugly look, they drove him forth, 
bidding him never enter those gates again. But the Asa folk were still sad and heavy of heart, for at every moment the gloom that lay over the city reminded them of the loss of their bright young Balder. Iger, god of the sea, saw their forlorn condition, and he prepared a great banquet in the caves of coral that lie underneath the sea, and bade all the Asas attendant as his guest. That though Balder every guest was grieving yet, he might forget, a while his woe and friendly feast. The invitation was pleasing to the gods, and on the day appointed, they came, attired in their richest cloaks of silk and satin, green and blue and yellow and purple, whereby they reached the coral caves of the sea god. Very beautiful were these caves. The walls and ceilings were carved with the most delicate fretwork of pink and cream and white, and a faint green light shone into them from the ocean without. The floor was covered with the finest silver sand, encrusted with beautiful seashells, and the flowers with which the tables were adorned were feathery seaweeds and glowing sea anemones. In the midst of the floor was a mass of gold, so bright that it lighted up the whole place as though with fire. The dishes upon the table were filled with the most delicious fish of every kind and variety, and the gods sat down to the feast well pleased, regretting only the absence of the well-loved Balder, and the fact that Thor had been detained by a tempest, which kept him busy in the regions of the dwarfs, from whence he hoped to travel to the sea caves directly his work was done. Merrily went the banquet, for all the Asas were filled with goodwill towards one another, and towards their burly host, who sat at the head of the board with his long gray beard sweeping his broad chest. Suddenly, into the midst of this cheerful scene fell a black shadow from the entrance to the cave, and there, red and gaunt, in evil of countenance, stood Loki, glowering upon them all. At first, the Asas sat in silence, their anger too deep for words. Then Odin arose and sternly bade the intruder be gone. This was the signal for a storm of hatred and words so evil that they poisoned the air. For a time, the Asas pretended not to heed, but went on quietly with the meal. One of them even tried to drown his speech by talking loudly to old Iger in praise of the servant who waited so deftly upon them. But at the word, Loki sprang forward, knife in hand, and killed the unfortunate serving man before their eyes. Then the Asa folk arose and cast out Loki with violence, threatening him with dire punishment should he appear in their presence again. Resuming their seats at the interrupted feast, they made brave efforts to appear gay and cheerful, but scarcely had they begun to eat when Loki came creeping in again disguised as a sea serpent. Once in, he resumed his proper form and began as before to revile the gods, taunting them one after another with the mistakes which each had made and telling his malicious stories so that the gods were filled with dismay and with suspicion each of his neighbor. 
Louder and louder grew the voice of Loki, the Asas all the time sitting as if turned to stone. And now he began to heap abuse on the head of Sif, the fair-haired wife of Thor. Suddenly, there was heard outside the noise of goat's feet clattering over the rocks, and in another moment, the thunderer entered, brandishing his hammer about his head and crying, Silence, thou wicked wretch! or my mighty hammer shall put a stop to thy prating. At one blow will I strike thy head from thy neck, and then will thy evil tongue be silenced once for all. But Loki did not wait for Thor to strike. Quick as light, he dashed out of the cave and disappeared. He well knew that now at length he had indeed lost all hope of forgiveness. Wandering in dismal wise about the earth, fear seized him after a time, lest Odin or the Thunderer should find him and slay him, in order to prevent further annoyance. So he made his way to the mountains of the north, and there he built for himself a hut with four doors, open to every quarter of the earth, that, if need arose, he might be able to escape quickly. He built this hut, moreover, close to a mountainside, down which rushed a mighty cataract of water, for he intended, if the Asas found him, to spring into the stream, change himself into a salmon, and so make good his escape. But when, sitting within his cold and drafty hut, he began to consider the matter afresh, he remembered that, even if he carried out this plan, he would not yet be quite safe. For though he could easily avoid any hook that was ever made, he would find it very difficult to evade capture if the god should think of making a net like that which the sea goddess, Ran, spreads for unwary men when they are fishing or bathing in the sea. And all the time she is lurking near some cavern on the shore, or enmeshed in the dark folds of a giant seaweed in the ocean depths. So much and so long did Loki brood over the thoughts of Ron's fishing net that at length he began to wonder if such a thing could really be made, and then try to weave one out of twine as much like it as possible. He had not quite finished his curious task, when upon the mountain, just above the hut, he suddenly perceived the two mighty figures of his dreaded foes. Knowing that their intention must be to enter his hut and make him prisoner, Loki hastily threw the half-made net upon the fire, and rushing forth, he flung himself into the waterfall, where he quickly changed himself into a salmon and lurked unseen among the stones in the torrent's bed. Meantime, the two Asas had entered the hut. Ho, ho, said Odin, as he noted the silence of the place. Her bird has flown. What fresh mischief does he plan? Muttered Thor, looking closely about him. Let us see further afield, urged Odin. But Thor kicked over the logs on the hearth and picked out the half-burned net. Now Odin well knew the net of Ron, and the half-burnt strands suggested to him the truth. So he set to work, and with Thor's assistance, quickly mended the net, 
and they proceeded to drag the mountain stream with it. At their first attempt, sly Loki hid between the two stones at the bottom of the river, laughing in scorn as the net passed over his head. Then the Asas weighted the net with stones and tried again. But Loki gave a great leap over the net and dashed upstream. A third time they made the attempt, and now Loki, grown reckless, leaped out of the water. But this time, Thor caught him by his tail and held it fast in spite of its slipperiness. Then the gods forced him to resume his usual shape, and they carried him off to an underground cavern far below the earth, and there they bound him fast to a rock with iron fetters. Most things in heaven and earth rejoiced at the downfall of wicked red Loki, but above all rejoiced Scotty, the giantess. Her home was in the cold mountain stream which Loki had invaded, and he had done her many an ill turn in bygone days. This Scotty now took a poisonous serpent and fastened it above his head, so that the venom of the reptile falling drop by drop upon his face would cause the most horrible pain. But Sigyn, Loki's loyal wife, the only person in heaven or earth who cared what became of him, took a cup and held it up to catch the burning drops as they fell, and she only left his side when the cup was full and she had to empty it. In these brief periods, the fettered god howled with rage and pain, in tones which echoed through the dismal caverns of earth like mighty peals of thunder, and his writhing shook the earth to its foundations, bringing the Northmen from their dwellings in terror of what they thought to be violent earthquakes. But his efforts can avail nothing until the day of Ragnarok. Then shall his bonds be loosed, and he shall fight his last battle and fall, never to rise again. The end. So Wicked Loki finally got what was coming to him. This is not the end of Loki's story, however. Next time on the Junior Classics, we'll hear the last tale in this series of the Asa folk, with the story, How the End of All Things Came About. Until then, I am Sir Bradley Hassey. Be brave, be loyal, and speak the truth. parents out there, I want you to understand why we are doing this, what we are trying to achieve, and how you can help us. This is a rescue operation to preserve the classics and the wisdom within before it is lost forever. Our goal is to inspire children with a love of good reading by safeguarding and breathing new life into the greatest stories in history and empower you, the parents, with a resource you can trust to enrich your child's mind and spirit. We don't want these stories and the wisdom within to be forgotten so our children don't have to learn these lessons on their own. The most important thing you can do for us is to spread the message and tell others about these stories and what we are doing. If you want to donate, we would love that as well. My promise is that 100% of donations will go to building the impact and quality of the Junior Classics. If you have feedback and thoughts on how we can do things better, please send an email to Junior Classics Podcast 
at gmail.com. You're listening to the Jill Classics. Thank <laughs> you.